This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. Good evening, listeners. Um, so we're on the final broadcast tonight um, for Women's Month because it's still Women's Month and we're honoring women who are struggling with addiction, whether they are struggling with an addiction themselves or they are in a position where they need to, uh, where they are partners, um, family member, friends, or maybe they have children that struggle with addictions. And uh, we honor women um, in this situation. And this is why we have this program, not only for women, of course, but especially this month, we focused on working, uh, having interviews specifically with women and uh, to have a message for women um, in, uh, as so many of us um, are really vulnerable when we struggle with this. And part of this, uh, yes? Suki, yeah, thank you very much for that intro, Suki. And um, we are saying very, very welcome to, to Emma. Uh, thank you, Emma Gibbon. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Emma. Thank you for having me. Mm. So this month we are going to be talking about uh, women and mm. God's faithfulness, but not only women, and but women's challenges and mm. God's faithfulness. So in our first program, uh, we spoke about how women uh, in Scripture played a very, very important role in fulfilling the Scripture and uh, fulfilling God's will. Uh, for whether it be for Israel or whether it is in the New Testament, but that women are facing challenges, um, seeing God's faithfulness amidst mm. those challenges. So thank you very, very much for joining us. Can you, can you tell us a little bit of, of your story and how you got involved with this? So I am now currently at CAD, which stands for Christian Action for Dependence. So our main focus is helping people with aftercare. So once they get out of the rehabilitation center, to ensure that they stay sober. So we do it via support groups, individual counseling, motivational sessions, um, also family counseling, because addiction isn't just about the individual, it's a, a family disease. Mm. So that is why we find it very important. So I know maybe most of the listeners have watched movies where you hear someone go in a movie, hi, my name's Emma and I'm an alcoholic. So that would be Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholic Anonymous. And we are similar um, in the sense that we do have support groups, but we are different because we are run by professionals as well as recovering addicts. Very um, interesting. I didn't know that. To the family members. Um, which, so it's very important because I always say the addict goes to the rehab, but who helps the family with forgiveness, mm-hmm. with understanding. Um, so, yeah, so I got into this. I graduated from Stellenbosch University with my bachelor's in social work in, I think, 2017. And then I started, I got the job before I even had my graduation. So it was the first job I ever interviewed for with regards to, you know, my social work degree. And I got the job. So I didn't have much of a holiday, but it was a, a blessing in disguise. And I started on the 2nd of January, 2018. So not much of a New Year's, but <laughs> it was really exciting. So my getting paid for your passion I think yeah. doing some love and being able to you know you actually feel guilty taking the money because you love it so much, yeah. but getting I re- paid for it. 
I remember when I started working, the first time I got paid, I thought, how can you get paid for this? This is so mm. nice. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But so, may I ask, Emma, why is that your passion? Is there some kind of story that led you to this? Um, so, if I have to think back at my life, what made me want to do it, especially social work, it was never, I don't remember an exact moment, but I always knew I came from a very privileged home and a very loving home. And I think with that, I knew I had to give back and hopefully be able to help others. And I think when I was um, growing up, I was, you know, helped being raised by a caretaker and she is my second mom. And she really introduced me to, you know, humble life and the communities. And she was one of them. She is we're still in contact, one of the most loving people I've ever met, her name's Sophie. Mm. Um, she would help people on the road. She didn't drink a sip of alcohol, but she would help people on the road. She, you know, helped us do our hair. We would have discussions. We, so she was a very, she introduced me to a whole different world. She birthed, you know, like, you live in a bubble for so long about having this privileged life that mm. when that bubble gets popped in, you see this, wow, people, they're fortunate. I always knew I wanted to help and when I was about, I actually have a, when I was about two years old, um, my, I had heart cardiac arrest, like my heart stopped for, not a lot of people know this, but my heart would stop like 40 times a day. Mm. So when I was between the ages of two and six, um, we were living in Montague, which is a very small little Afrikaans dorky. Mm. But yeah, so no, no one could understand why was I passing out for and then literally couldn't feel a heartbeat. So that happened from the ages of two and six, and my mom was frantic, like, mm, you know, rushing to doctors and hospitals, even would drive to Cape Town, come spend nights here, just trying to understand, going to, you know, I never even going to a neurologist and him, you know, um, flicking my neck and thinking I've epilepsy, taking, like, you know, getting tablets. I've gone to so many specialists, and I've had the ambulance called many times, mm. and I would always wake up or come you know, back from it, um, what's called in the ambulance, and the doctor would be like, well, why do you need? Because her heart rate's fine, there's no evidence. And wow. fast forward to six, when I was six years old, I was, had a heart monitor on me, so it was finally a cardiologist that saw me in Kales River, Dr. Simon, and he put a heart monitor on me, and he, um, yeah, so he checked it on me the weekend and the Monday we took the half monitor back and I'll never ever forget I was in the bath and with my sister and Sophie, my second mother was bathing us and we got a house call and they said if you don't, yeah, you need to get your daughter to the hospital right now, um, yeah, immediately. So we got in the car, mm. freshly bathed and that night I had an operation and I received a pacemaker mm. um, and then because Dr. Simon said on the heart monitor, my heart would flatline in one night 50 times. Um, and it was a third-degree heart block. And he said, which was very special, and my mom only told me this later in life, because, you know, I was only six years old. But, you know, we had the priest come there and obviously just give a blessing just before my operation because it was so, you know, sudden. Hmm. Um, and my mom told me years later that Dr. Simon said um, to them, I'm a man of science. I'm not a, a, a believer. I believe in facts, and I've been studied my whole life to see that. But the only reason your daughter is alive is because of God. Mm. So I think finding that out is really 
you know, always stuck with me and I always knew and we can never understand what type of psychological effect it had on me being past, you know, losing breath, losing my heartbeat, you know, so many times a day for such a young age. I don't think we can ever understand maybe what that did to me, you know, on a spiritual mm. level. Mm. Um, but I think it's definitely brought me to this calling to know that I've got a purpose on this earth and yeah, it's my duty to fulfill it. And when it comes to addiction, to fast forward to addiction, I never had, if you want me to be honest, God is and I never had sympathy or empathy with people with addiction. I always thought, now, now I'm fast forwarding going, I'm looking at these people that are, you know, unfortunate. And then I'm like, and when I look at their middle class, whatever, I'm like, why are you doing drugs? You know, this is a choice and you're choosing mm. to have a bad life. And it, it didn't make sense to me. And then in my fourth year of practical, I was placed in um, Tuflach Rehabilitation Center in Booster, a very good place. And that year, when I was, you know, helping people, I realized no one chooses addiction. You know, no one wakes up one morning and goes, I want to be an addict. Mm. It's all the circumstances that led to it, that we didn't have the capacity to deal with it anymore, that we led us to um, substance or process addiction in order to cope with our pain. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was very humbled. Um, and, you know, God placed me in a my first job in an addiction place and now I'm completing my PhD in addiction studies. So wow. when I say it, it's been an interesting journey, but I'm very blessed and grateful for it. Sure. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Emma, for sharing that. Um, give us some insight. Um, mm. I really appreciate the, what you were saying with regards to your relationship with Sophie, your, your second mm. mom. And, and, you know, because uh, this month is uh, Women's Month, um, mm. how was your relationship with your mother? Um, you know, obviously it was, you know, really good in the sense that, I mean, she was really helpful. Because actually she also, she was originally the one with the heart problem. She had, um, what you call it, cholesterol. Wow. Um, and her father, um, she didn't have a relationship with him. Her father... Um, was an addict, and he actually went to one of, I only found this later in life, so I don't want to talk about it, but he was in one of the rehabs, the remote in Paro, mm. one of the rehabs there, while he was, you know, while throughout his life he went there for alcohol dependency. So, my mother, obviously it's something that we have to consider in our lives, the genetic predispositions, you know, with my parents, me and my sister, because mm. it does drug in the family. Right. But my mother was, you know, a home mom. She was always there. I mean, she was the person that was by my side. Apparently, mm. I was inseparable because, you know, when something went wrong, when I passed out or I just, you know, my heart stopped, she was the one that I would always hold on to because it would happen when I was in the bathroom. And the reason we actually got my second mom, Sophie, was because, they couldn't be watching me all the time. So yeah, if I was walking yeah. and had a passed out, I would have maybe drowned, yeah. you know, just an example. Or on the playground, because I'm very hyper. So on the playground, I pass out on the swing and then I hit my head, you know. Mm. So it was a really a blessing in disguise that everything just came together. But my mom was really, you know, she was the rock, um, especially for not understanding what's going on with your daughter. I can't mm. imagine. And then having a second daughter... And then trying to, you know, not give me too much attention, mm. but also be there for my sister, who's two years younger than me. So mm. I do definitely commemorate and appreciate all that she's done, yeah. and her and Sophie. So, yeah, mm. it made me really appreciative just growing up and seeing how hard it is, definitely. 
Emma, um, I love your story and we need to take a break. I just want to summarize before we take the break um, mm. that I see God's redemption through women, even in your story, because especially if you say your grandfather had an addiction problem, isn't mm. that amazing that your mother didn't have it, but with this terrible mm. thing that she had with her little girl passing out mm. and her heart stopped. I, I mean, I can't, I really honor your mom. I don't know how she did what she did. Mm. But the fact that the Lord kept you alive and that you now helping people with addictions, isn't that amazing mm. to see God's redemption through the women yeah. and the women that he placed in your life, your your mom and your, your second mom. But let's take a break mm -hmm. and then we talk more about choice afterwards. I, I've got more questions Correct. to ask about that. Thanks. Emma, welcome back. You've mentioned um, just before uh, we concluded with what we said about your mother and your second mother, you mentioned mm. something about choice. You said you thought you had no sympathy with addicts because you thought it was mm. a choice that they made. Can you tell us more about it? Because you said during your practical, you realized that it wasn't so. But I think there are still many people that think that don't yes. have sympathy, that feel just the way you did. Tell us more about that. Explain to us. So, you know, when I say it's not a choice, I think there's so many, you know, when I did my um, master's and now this is my PhD, I doing, I'm doing it from a perspective of uh, bio, psycho, social, um, perspectives mm. and what that means is that there's a biological, psychological, social, and then also within South Africa context, cultural aspect. Mm. So when we look at biological, when I say it's not a choice, I really mean the, if your father or your mother or your great grandfather or your grandfather was an addict, ready, you are more predisposed mm. genetically. Mm. Then we look mm. at the social or let's go to psychological aspect. If you've got you know, you've got, you're predisposed to mental disorders, um, depression, anxiety. And often we see that with people, you know, yes, indulge in alcohol because society accepts it so much. And then they realize, then they start self-medicating because they've got depression. And instead of going to a doctor and being diagnosed and maybe getting on medication, they self-medicate through alcohol. And they don't mm. even know they're doing it at the time, mm. but that's what happens. Then we go to social aspects. Where are you living? the accessibility and availability of drugs. Um, and also our neighborhoods, um, are they gagged? If we're talking about more our um, low-income households, um, is it more socially accepted? Is it the norm? Mm. How am I going to go to a, a child where both parents were smoking and uh, weed the whole day and tell them not to do it? Our parents are our role models. So that has been also very challenging. So when I say with choice, it really is, they now they don't even know that there is a choice to be made. They now it's just the next step in life. Like, we know that we have to go off, um, you know, when we breastfed, that we have to go off it in order to maybe not be so dependent on our mother, for example. That's the next logical step in our lives. But what if we don't know that there's a choice to be made when it comes to being introduced? Oh, oh yes, uh, yes, take a drag of... Um, some, a, a cigarette. We didn't even think it was a choice. We just thought it was the next step in our, you know, growing up, mm. social development. Mm. And then mm. we look at the cultural a aspect of, you know, we have to look at cultures and what is more predisposing. We see maybe more in the white communities, you'll get more alcohol, you'll get more process addiction, women's gambling, um, internet, sex, etc. Then we get more the colored community in South Africa, where we'll get more tuck we'll get also a little bit more, uh, definitely alcohol from the DOP system. And then we go to more African, when we're talking about Izikosa, Zulu, we are definitely at CDC more alcohol than ever in the past. 
um, that it's actually become such a problem and they don't know how, people don't know how to deal with it in the Kosa communities because it's never been a, past, a problem in the past. So hmm. we have to look at that cultural aspect. So when it comes to choice, sometimes people do not have even realizing the choice someone wants to make because they don't know the difference between wrong or right. Hmm. And then also, because society is so socially accepted, alcohol, I mean, you get it in your food, you get it in, and some, I mean, what mouthwashes. So, Wow. When we have, and I think the word predisposed is so important, I think in life we all have the capacity to deal with something, um, and then life gets to hand us trauma. So when we dealt with a capacity, say now your capacity is a one liter bottle, and my capacity is a 500 ml, mm. who's going to be quick and filled up with capacity and trauma? I've got less room mm. for in my life mm. and then when I, once I reach that capacity of 500 ml my bottle is overflowing mm. and that is where we have this mental breakdown we have this absolute you know existential crisis of who am I and mm. we often find comfort in socializing with the wrong people because we have this sense of belonging and you know what makes us feel good substances right, or right. you know stimulant activities such as porn or such as such as things like that. So we want instant gratification. Mm. Um, so we need to, there's so no such thing as, oh, you chose it. There is so much underlining, like I said, taking back to the biopsychosocial mm. perspective of looking at all the underlining things that, you know, equal to addiction. Mm. Mm. Uh, so thank you very much, uh, Emma. Uh, some ah. very good explanation with regards to all the different uh, routes where yeah, the I like symbolism. Yeah, the, I like that's why people lose track, and so yeah, it works with my clients. But yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, you know, because we are talking about uh, Women's Month, we are talking about women that are involved mm. either in addictions or uh, trying to help the addict. Um, mm -hmm. In in CAD, uh, what proportion of women are, are coming to you for help? Okay, so. Now, this is a very interesting, because I actually did my honours thesis on this about women and addiction. Mm -hmm. So, what we have found is, because of historically, you know, men be the patriarch and women more being, you know, they can't really have problems. And I know that sounds harsh, but it's almost like mm -hmm. they have to be Sticky strong ties. together. They have to be, you know, hold the house together, the home mm -hmm. together. So, mm -hmm. it has been a thing of a male problem for, you know, many generations prior to this. So what has happened is a lot of our rehabilitation centers, et cetera, have been more equipped, you know, to cater for the men. But I'm not saying it's not available for the women. Mm. But a lot of the time we feel women don't even realize when they have a problem or don't know where to go because they are a single mother or, you know, it's their daughter and they don't want to leave their child behind because they have to go to a rehab. But they don't think it's an option. So what happens is we do get more males. However... We do get women, and it's very important to note this, that in the Western Cape currently, we do not have any rehab for women under 18 years old. Oh, wow. So what mm. that means is I'm getting clients that are 16 years old in my office, wow. uh, and I'm telling the parents, you know what, sorry, guess what, you're going to probably have to wait until we get a bit older. Sure. Um, so the problem gets almost worse, mm. is because you know what, we don't have help right now. And that's the worst thing when our hands are tied, um, you know, we, we, there's really nothing we can do. 
So women have become sometimes being uh, uh, not forgotten, but they, you know, the focus isn't really on them, and we don't have sometimes resources to equip to help them. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely been something that we've you know been brought to our attention. Mm-hmm. But we do get women. We do get women that uh, come into us definitely as well, but definitely more men at this point. And if you compare the women to men, are their problems different? Uh, do they come to you earlier? Do they come later? Uh, what What do you see? What's different if you look at uh, um, people coming okay. with? Yeah. So definitely, the man would be more. I struggle more with the ego and the pride. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I have to really, you know, help my clients with. So sometimes they do come much later in life, or it was a partner, aka so now a woman, mm. um, or a parent. You know, kicking them out. This is your last choice, this is your last option, and then having the mother or the girlfriend or the wife bringing them to us, okay? Mm. Where it's often we see the women would either come out by themselves, mm. first they would have attempted to try and get sober by themselves, or they will come out by themselves and ask us for help. Mm. Um, and if it's like regarding a daughter, often more, and, and when it comes to children, I really just want to reiterate this, like, when it comes to a child, it's always the mother, really, because the single-headed households, you know, absent fathers in South Africa is very extreme. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time it's going to be the mother bringing their son, mm-hmm. the mother or the grandmother bringing their son um, mm-hmm. or daughter. So, yeah, it's something that we have noticed. And statistically speaking, it does, the, you know, the stats speak for itself. Mm-hmm. My heart really goes out to women um, as I listen to you. And one of the previous mm-hmm. programs, I, I quoted Mao Zedong saying, that women mm. keep up half the sky. And I think you really see that in your line of work. And that's also why women are so vulnerable and really need support. So what yeah. will happen if they come to you? How will you uh, go about helping them, especially uh, family members and friends? We don't have a lot of time, Emma, so if you can try and do yes. it in a minute or two. Mm. Okay, so just to end off, um, we help, like I said, we are the key. However, we find it very beneficial if we can walk a process with our clients. So we tell them, come to us or book a session um, through our website or through our number on WhatsApp and then come to our office and we can help you fill out the forms for various rehabs that are existing, that are um, government-based, so subsidies and a little payment. And then we will help you fill in the application, then send it off to the rehab and then it's up to the rehab, you know, to... Uh, um, accept you to, to look through your details and then once you get out of the rehab, you already have established a connection with CAD, meaning you will already be able to um, have a support group option close to you, which is the most important part because I want to end off with this. This is a fact. 75% of people relapse three to six months after rehab, mm. which means in aftercare. This means people are going to aftercare or aren't taking it serious. So aftercare is the most important part. Mm. So we want people to come to us and walk a process. There is no time that aftercare sobriety is lifelong. It mm. is a lifelong work. Just because if you had cancer, you have to go for checkups to check if you're still in remission or you have to go back into treatment. Mm. So mm. I really want to reiterate that we do help people walk that process. So they must be in contact with us. Do you have a psych- so you have addict. a psychosocial pro- program as well for friends and family that, that you know to yes, teach them yes. skills. So and- even if the addict themselves don't want help, we obviously are there to just 
provide support for the family. You know, mm. how can now you have a relationship with someone that's an addict and how can you have maybe tough love? We can talk about options of that. Mm. Mm. Um, interventions we've done. So, yeah, it's just, you know, coming up with a program that's going to work there. Where, Where are you? Are you all over the country? So we are national. Um, but our offices are in Tales River, and we're the only um, office of professionals. The rest is all the other support groups national are run by recovering addicts. Okay. Hmm. And so are you online as well? Can people find you online? Yes. Through Christian Action for Dependence and CAD, they can get various numbers for various areas in the country. Okay. Thank you so much, Emma. That was very insightful. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much, Emma, for being with us uh, for uh, our program today. And uh, also just once again showing us that women with challenges um, mm. are very often supported by other women mm. and mm-hmm. that it's the women that reach out for help, mm. uh, whether they're the addict or whether they're wanting to support the addict in a correct way. And to see also God's faithfulness through their, uh, their uh, mm. program. Your, um, we didn't mm. even have time to talk about the Christian program and exactly what you guys we do. We're going to have to do this again sometime. Yes, yeah, definitely. definitely. We're going to invite you to come back. So thank you, yeah. listeners, for being with us. Thank you so much, Emma. Listeners, you can get to our podcast at uh, www.kpulpit forward slash podcasts um, forward slash into me see and uh, please write to us at frederick suki at kpulpit.co.za thank you once again and uh, we'll see you next week again thank you and blessings goodbye this insert was brought to you by radio k pulpit 7 to 9 a.m Please visit kpulpit.co.za.